welcome to the second season of our Triune Pod. We are still preparing you to praise. Join me, the Reverend Nick Comiskey, and the Reverend Bendy Hart for a conversation about low-key theology, lived experience, and often unrelated pop culture as we break down one of the Psalms. We hope it's an inspiring, maybe a bit irreverent, but mostly helpful way to get you ready for some God time. for another episode of your absolute favorite podcast, our Triune Pod. Ben, how are you, my man? I'm good, dude. I'm loving the fall weather here in Birmingham. It's gorgeous out. I'm like forcing Chelsea against her will to leave the house before and after dinner because it is just gorgeous. Yeah. And it reminds me a little bit of the Hudson, of the colors and the trees are all changing and you could really just die in that moment. It's the best. Yeah, I agree. I'm doing well in it. So yeah, I thought we would chat a little bit at this unrelated. I had another person from church on Sunday come up to me and say, Nick, I really like the podcast. I got to be honest. Sometimes I just skip to the next episode after you're done with unrelated. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) you are not the first person that's told me that. But uh, so let's give the people what they want. And let's have a conversation about Halloween and our kind of uh, I would say increasing culturally, increasing appetite for Halloween as a season. I've gotten really into thriller slash horror slash quote unquote scary movies. Um, so Ben, were you a Halloween kid growing up? I did. I got dressed up. I would, you know, I always had the lame costume because I never thought about it ahead of time. Okay. So I would, you know, paint my face or wear camo or something and be jealous of the kids who had really intricate costumes. But I don't remember it being nearly as big as it is now. I first experienced this in New York City. When I first got there in 2014. Halloween is as big as Christmas there. And at Pittsburgh, it just was not at all. And now here in 2022 in Birmingham, People around me are saying people didn't used to put things outside like Halloween decorations. Yeah. 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 People didn't do. And now everyone does that. So I feel like it's hotter than ever. Yeah. What about you? Are you a big Halloween person? Yeah. I I loved it as a kid. Christian. No, I mean, my parents were, uh, were of cool and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, it was a big like candy, you know, neighborhood day. We definitely trick or treated, you know, all over the neighborhood. And then when I was in high school, we just did like as many pranks as possible. I mean, I embraced Mm. that side of it much to the chagrin of drivers along certain boulevards, navigating, you know, six pumpkin high piles scattered throughout the, the road. Um, but yeah, was it called mischief night in Orange County the, the night before Halloween? No, I've never heard that term before. I think that must be like a Jersey, okay. Pennsylvania thing. And it was, it was the license for all kinds of pranks, all kinds of, you know, mildly criminal activities were allowed. Um, you probably, they probably weren't allowed. They were just expected. Right, uh, right. But it seems like there's a little bit of that everywhere, even if it's not called that. No, that's right. So you saw, you were telling me earlier, you saw Beetlejuice for the first time. Was that a good mm-hmm. Halloween mood movie? Yeah. So Chelsea and I are going to try to watch a Halloween movie. I mean, every night we have a free night. So at first she was like, oh no, we have to watch this one. I was like, let's watch them all. So I'd never watched Beetlejuice, that 80s Tim Burton masterpiece. And yeah, no, it's it's great. I mean, I wonder, I, would, I wish I would have watched it 20 years ago. As a kid, but- yeah. Yeah, Michael Keaton's great. Alec Baldwin is Gina, pretty great. Gina Davis, right? Yeah. Love so. Gina Davis. That's cool. Yeah. So are you watching anything Halloween? Are you getting into the spooky season? Um, well, I I did see a movie on Sunday night that was 
one of the most scary movies I've seen in a theater. I've really embraced this genre of movies as a viable thing to go see in theaters. Honestly, I would say it was in the last like five years. It's not something I've been into historically, but I've gotten pretty into it. I saw this movie on Sunday night called Smile that I'm not commending, but- uh, <laughs> But he loved it. <laughs> is it, it Honestly, it was terrifying. I mean, it was a- I, it, movies don't stick with me like that. Like I didn't have any trouble sleeping or I'm not freaked out at all, but in the movie theater, I mean, I was honestly thinking to myself, like, why did I subject myself to this? I mean, it was very fun and it was a very great theatrical experience. I was sitting next to this woman who was like so funny and like vocalizing everyone's thoughts. Like, why are you doing that? Don't look at that. You know, like that kind of Those a thing. Those people and are amazing. It was really fun, but it was genuinely terrifying. And so if you are not into scary movies, then I would not recommend seeing it. But if you like them and you can withstand some gore, then it's uh, it's worth worth watching. I am the opposite of you. I watched uh, Pulp Fiction recently. You remember the kidnapping scene, which is pretty bad. But I, after watching that, I was kind of looking over my shoulders for someone to kidnap me for the next couple of days. But I have someone in my life whom I love who cannot get enough of scary movies. So I will see every single one and terrify myself all over again. Dude, see Smile and we'll we'll uh, we'll pot about it next week. So I mean, before we jump in, do you think, uh, I mean, as we said earlier, everyone and their mother is into Halloween right now, except that person who says, if you watch Hocus Pocus 2, you'll be demon possessed. Do you think there's anything good in this for Christians or is this all like neutral or yeah, what do you think? Well, I think it is a reflection of our desire for in a purely sociological sense, I think it's our desire for holidays. You know, I think it's that like Charles Taylor, secular age, like that, those days that the normal order of things gets kind of upturned and, you know, whether it's Christmas, whether it's other kind of days now, like I'm trying to think of a good example of a made up holiday that is just an occasion for people to like not do their normal routine. I think it's that desire for rituals and for community gatherings in the way that we can kind of break the never ending cycle of work and life and family responsibilities to have a day that the normal rules don't apply. That was obviously facilitated in previous eras through the church. And yeah, I mean, you know, there might be something more theological there around people's desire for transcendence or to use language that we've talked about before, kind of to live in an enchanted world. World, I'm probably less optimistic that it creates a kind of opening for the gospel, <laughs> but I think it reflects people's desire to meet new people and forge relationships and not be isolated and like get out of work, which is great. Yeah, no, I, I think I'd go further than you. I think people want to get out of this mechanistic machine all around us. They want a little supernatural spirit stuff. And I don't know if that's going to make people become Christians, but I don't know. We'll see. The early Christians were pretty successful in paganism. So that's who knows? true. That Who's is true. Say? That is true. But it, it feels more of an aesthetic and a social thing than it does like a genuine desire for influence from above. But speaking of the Psalm today is Psalm 21. It's a familiar Psalm. And it goes like this. I lift up my eyes to the hills from where is my help to come? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. And he who watches over you will not fall asleep. Behold, he who keeps watch over Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord himself watches over you. 
The Lord is your shade at your right hand, so that the sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. It is he who shall keep you safe. The Lord shall watch over your going out and your coming in from this time forth forevermore. All right. Well, before we jump in, let's look at what's going on here. I think in the last couple of weeks, we've talked about the skeleton of the psalm. And I don't know about for our viewers, but I found that very helpful for me. So in the first two verses, I mean, we've got that incredible line at the beginning that's been put in song from Bach to like praise and worship music. I lift up my eyes to the hills from where is my help to come? So the first two verses, the person is looking up into the sky, looking at the mountains, probably in some trouble. Where is my help coming? It comes from God. And then after that, verses three through six, it turns from the a first person, where is my help to come, to this second person. God will not let your foot be moved. Behold him. He keeps watch over Israel. And then verses seven and eight, it turns into a promise. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. The Lord shall watch over your going out and your coming in. But at the beginning, the first two verses, who can't resonate with that? Say you are jobless or you've got credit card bills or you fill in the blank. You're in trouble and all the things that you would normally rely on just fail you. Where's my help going to come? It comes from God. Now, <laughs> kind of ridiculous anecdote, but the other day, Chelsea made dinner. And for whatever reason, you know, I'm not saying you have to pray before you eat to give thanks, but we hadn't given thanks. And I remember thinking to myself for a split second, well, maybe I don't need to give thanks because I earned this. I paid for this. I mean, not all this happened in my brain all at the same right, time, but I kind of right. thought that. And then just seeing this verse and how much of this I haven't earned. And if the rug is pulled out from underneath me, I immediately am the first to yell help or to get angry. Mm. And so for richer, for poorer, from where is our help to come? It comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Right. The notion that our lives are, are so much more precarious than we imagine mm. day by day. I was talking to someone the other day who got a like bizarre muscle in their back was pulled and like completely upended their life. And they were saying this muscle in my back that I've never heard of has never thought about stopped working. And all of a sudden it was like everything good about my life disappeared. <laughs> and it just illustrates that idea. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth that can be very cheesy or very Bible band-aid-y, but we are all one phone call away from falling on our faces and praying Psalm 121, <laughs> right? Uh, and even when things seem to be going smoothly, so quickly, things can turn. Uh, so help coming from the Lord is is good news indeed. I think the more interesting conversation, which I'm sure you're about to get us into is what does that constitute? <laughs> you know, what does it mean to be helped yeah. by the Lord? So in the next couple of verses, shifting from I lift my eyes up to the hills from where my help is to come. Then there's this second person, God will not let your foot be moved. God keeps watch over Israel or the people of God. God also watches over you as an individual. Mm. And what does it say about him watching over us? God will not sleep. He won't slumber. He is the shade at our right hand. So this, it sounds simple. It is simple. The Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, the maker of the hills that we're lifting our eyes up to, the maker of <laughs> the people causing us problems. This God keeps watch over us. This God is always with us. And we can really lean into that and trust that. 
it's simple. And, and then it goes into an example from probably the time and from the people saying this, but we're not going to have the sun strike us. We're not going to be sunstruck. We're not going to get a stroke. And then we're not going to be moonstruck. So before we get into the promise, it almost sounds too good to be true, but I think it's supposed to take us there. It's supposed to leave us in. Stop nuancing everything. Stop saying, yeah, but the problem of evil or this or that. This psalm, I think, really leans into and majors at God is for you. Mm. God is watching over you. Who are you to fear? And a whole lot of times, unfortunately, this only becomes real to us when everything hits the fan. Yeah. What do you think the significance of God not sleeping means? Like three times, God will not fall asleep. He neither slumbers nor sleeps. Can you connect emotionally to the idea that God doesn't sleep or that God's always awake? I'm not just asking a kind of historical critical question, like what did this mean to the original writer? I kind of am asking that, but I'm also asking what it means to draw meaning from God's sleeplessness. I take it as we fall asleep, people let us down, okay. even those closest to us, yeah. those who really want to be for us. Mm. And maybe they weren't even necessarily being negligent or trying to mess with us, but God is one who... Again, I think it's really put simply, God is never going to let us down. Mm. He is always there. More than him being there, he is with us and for us. And just to kind of lean into that good news. Yeah, it'd be an interesting <laughs> gospel pairing with Jesus asleep on the boat, right? Mm. That God does sleep in that. I mean, God did sleep in Jesus, but um, God slept the sleep of death. But that story where Jesus is asleep but even when the God man sleeps, he's not, his help is not far away mm. because he wakes up in complete command of the situation is like, why are you freaking out, man? I'm sleeping, but I'm still me. And yeah. that is just an interesting. Mm, that is a really interesting. And yeah, it's not like everything's good, right? right? There's a real storm at hand Yeah, and the storms of our life. And yet we have the promise of this psalm in the midst yeah. of all the storms, yeah. in the midst of the letdowns. I'm right there, though I may appear asleep. I'm not asleep. And this is not the final word. Yeah. It kind of relates to what you were saying last week or two weeks ago about, I hope this was recorded. <laughs> Maybe I'm thinking of a conversation we had pre, pre pod, but is the, um, you know, that, that kind of classical theology, that synthesis of Greek metaphysics and biblical theology in like God is not Aristotle's unmoved mover, but God is this timeless, impassable being such mm. that we could entrust our entire future to the God who does not sleep because he is not like us. And so he is perfectly consistent. You know, he is who he is, who he is. And so there's no sense of, well, if I put my stake and build my life on this God, can I trust that the game won't change later? It's like, yeah, you can, because he who watches over you shall neither slumber nor sleep. Like he's always there. That's a cool way of that would never be a part of my piety, you know, to kind of think about the Lord as one who does not sleep, who's always watching over me. But there might be some some juice in that, you know? Yeah, the one in whom we live and move and have our being. So often we think of God as the biggest thing we can imagine. And yet it's still the demurge, right? It's not, he's just kind of a, a Superman. Yeah. But this is, I think, where for lack of a better word, classical theism is helpful. It's, God is not that. God is other. Mm. And yet that other one in whom we live and move and have our being who neither slumbers nor sleep 
chose the path of a helpless babe who needed to sleep. Yeah. So, I mean, from here, we have the it transitions to a promise. It's not just that the Lord can, but the Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall watch over your going and coming in from this time forth and forevermore. So yeah, really, the Lord's going to keep us safe. And I believe in the Hebrew, the word can be translated and probably is better translated. It has multiple translations here, but the word defend is the word used for preserve or watching over. So the main impulse, I guess, of this psalm is that the Lord is our defender, our shield. Again, we look to the hills because everything else has let us down or we just have nothing we can really put our trust in. And who do we put our trust in? Our defender who does not sleep. Mm, That's good. Yeah. I've been reading this book by a 17th century, I think, Puritan writer, John Owen. And one of the things that he does so well, but is also a reflection of of the time in which he lived is for him, it's somewhat self-evident that a, a promise like this of protection, of defense, can coexist with pain and suffering and inexplicable heartbreak. But, and maybe that isn't just a historical distance thing, but like, I I think I've been thinking of for myself about how hard it is to believe those two things at the same time that, Mm -hmm. you know, pain is real. Suffering is real being, you know, the best Christian you can be quote unquote, does not in any way make you immune from life's, the vagaries of fortune. But at the same time, this promise that ultimately, you know, even the worst thing that could happen to me is the best thing that could happen to me to be with the Lord. I guess I'm becoming increasingly convinced that that is one of the most important things that you have to reconcile to really, you know, be strong in the grace of God is like, yeah, your God's promises of protection and defense are compatible with difficulty and pain. Mm-hmm. And that's a very easy thing to say, but that is, as a matter of fact, a very hard thing to abide. Yeah, it just reminds me of that again. Two two quick things. I was reading this guy, Chris Green. I think he is a Pentecostal theologian, but one who's really rooted in the tradition. And he writes about, and I think he follows Robert Jensen on this. And I don't know what to make of this, but yes, we have our moments of real pain and agony. And we feel like these promises, they're like, okay, it must all be fake, or I've got to say that God's in control and kind of mentally judo do some it, gymnastics. Yeah. But what he says is, and I don't think this solves the problem of evil, but God being outside of time, we are experiencing our pain and it is real. But in the midst of wherever you're at, where I'm at, where we are in that pain, it's not the final word. God being outside of time will have a word for that time. And I I don't, yeah, I don't really know what to make of that, but I kind of like it. And then the second thing, and maybe this is too simplistic, maybe this is the <laughs> Calvinist in me who is all about God's sovereignty, but that African-American saying, everything will be okay in the end. If it's not okay, it's not the end. Ah. I think there's a little bit of a c- compatibility between what Chris Green was saying. I've never, I've never sentiment. heard that. I've never heard that before. Oh, it's, it's just one of those uh, African-American spiritual jewels. Yeah, uh, yeah. And again, coming from folks who know what it's like to be not okay. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and yet and not in some kind of glib way that, right. you know, all things work for the good of those who love God, which is probably a mistranslation. But God really is for us. He's our defender. And if it's not okay, it's not the end. I'm not sure that solves all our problems, but I'll lean my, my whole weight into that. Pray us out, Ben. 
I will lift up my eyes to the hills from where is my help to come. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved, and he who watches over you will not fall asleep. Behold, he who keeps watch over Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord himself watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand, so that the sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. It is he who shall keep you safe. The Lord shall watch over your going out and your coming in from this time forth forevermore. How about that episode of Our Trying Pod? Now that you've been prepped for praise, won't you do us a solid and subscribe and review? We promise to keep the outlandish illustrations coming. So be sure to join us for another episode of your absolute favorite podcast.